We are uh, going to be praying over and officially recognizing and commissioning some new la- leaders later in the service during what would otherwise be the open worship time. Uh, it's a significant day for us because of that. Um, we probably would not be able to uh, indicate how enthusiastic and excited I am by that development, but because we're doing that, I want to take this morning's teaching time to talk about church leadership in general, and then, hi Josh, and then uh, church leadership specifically in our church. I hope this isn't uh, tedious. Uh, This is the stuff that uh, guys who teach, well, it's just, you know, these are all trick. I think I'm okay. Thank you. If you like to study or teach, this is the kind of stuff that is uh, potatoes and gravy. If you don't, it might be a little tedious. So I hope it's not too tedious, but we're going to go through uh, what the New Testament basically says about leadership. You know, if you go to a variety of churches, you will see a variety of forms of church leadership. And I'll mention a few here just in a minute by name, by their Greek names. Um, At the end of the day, we as a local church, and and I'm sure every local church or every group or denomination of churches, wants to believe that the form of church governance or church leadership they have is what the Bible talks about. And while there's there's certainly room for a variety of ways of this being expressed, what the New Testament says about church leadership in general is quite clear. And that's what we'll look at this morning. Basically, or briefly, in its most uh, understated form, the New Testament teaches this, that a plural number of godly, mature men lead each local church. That's kind of the bottom line. Typically, in roles or under functions called elders and deacons. And let me just start with the terms themselves. You'll recognize, if not the English, the Greek that some of these come from, because churches are named after the Greek terms of leadership. So, for instance, the term I use most frequently if we talk about local church leadership is elders. That comes from the Greek presbyters. So we've got a a church group called Presbyterians. That comes from a particular Greek word about a particular kind of oversight. Uh, By the way, the term priest also comes from the same Greek term. Or overseers. And, by the way... These terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Overseers comes from episkopos, episcopus, so we look over, we oversee. So episcopalians comes from that Greek word. And then the last used uh, probably the least, pastor shepherds, comes from the Greek poimene, which is a shepherd or a pastor as of sheep, etc. Um, You've also got another leadership term called deacon, and that's the term consistently used also. The difference between whether we call them elders, overseers, or pastor shepherds and deacons, they both provide leadership. The elders, and I'll just use that as my default term, the elders focus primarily on teaching leadership. The deacons focus primarily on hands-on leadership. And this, this function of a plurality of men giving leadership in the local churches is what you see both as an example in the early church in Acts, and then it's also what you see prescribed in the epistles. So let me run through this briefly. In Acts, 
In Acts chapter 6, in the early church still in Jerusalem and Israel before it had spread through proclamation into the Roman Empire, uh, there were non-Jewish women living in Jerusalem and the church was taking care of them. And they were being shortened somehow, shortchanged, we're not quite sure how or why, in the distribution of food. The church was providing for these women's needs. And so this was raised as a concern to the leadership of the day in the early church, which was the apostles. Jesus had chosen those apostles in the early church. They're the first form of leadership. So this problem is brought to the apostles in Acts 6. And in verse 2, they said, they tell the church, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, God's called us to prayer, they'll say later, and teaching. We don't think we have time for this as well. So they say to the church in Jerusalem to choose seven men from among you. They're going to turn this responsibility over to them. We understand this would be the first group of deacons. Acts 6, the first group of deacons early in the life of the church. If you move to the role of elders, you see this early as well. Uh, in Acts 14, Paul has three missionary journeys. The first missionary journey, he and Barnabas go out. They go into the Gentile world, world the Roman Empire, in what would be Asia Minor today, and they share the gospel. And people believe, and churches are formed. And on their return trip to Antioch, the place they, they had started, they go back to the cities they'd come through. And they do this in Acts 14, 23, when they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, they took the missionary trip through. People heard the gospel and believed. Churches were formed. And shortly thereafter, Paul and Barnabas came back through and appointed elders in each one of those city churches. So as soon as the churches were formed, basically, they had this same type of leadership. In Acts 15, uh, you know, one of the, the early difficulties for the church was you went from a church that was centered in Judaism, in the nation of Israel. It was ethnic and it was national. And then the gospel goes out to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so the Jews are wondering, what's the relationship of those Gentile believers to us? And also, What's their responsibility towards the law of Moses? How do we look at this new group of people that aren't like us, don't have our background, etc.? So in Acts 15, the early church dealt with this issue. And in dealing with it, you see three groups involved in this discussion. And in Acts 15:22, summing this discussion up, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. It seemed good to the apostles, the elders, and the church. So remember, at this day, the original apostles are still here. They're still present, and they're providing oversight to the church at large. But also here in Jerusalem, there was also a group of elders that was overseeing things in that local church specifically. The discussion also involved the rest of the church as well. So even in Jerusalem, where the apostles were primarily centered, you see the role of elders functioning there also in the early church. And then if you turn to the epistles... A couple of examples, Titus 1.5, Paul tells Titus to do the same thing Paul and Barnabas had done earlier in Acts 14. He tells Titus to appoint elders in all the cities on the island of Crete. Titus is to appoint elders in each of those city churches as well. Or in Philippians 1, when Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he includes the overseers and deacons. There were overseers and deacons, that group, those groups of leadership individuals 
in the church there. And then in 1 Peter 5.1, Pete says, I exhort the elders among you. That is, as he wrote to other churches, he addresses the, the letter in part to the elders that served in those churches as well. So whether you're looking at the example you see in Acts or whether you're looking at the commands you see in the epistles, they all say the same thing, that each one of these local churches had a plural group of male oversight, elders and deacons, elders focusing primarily on teaching, deacons focusing primarily on the hands-on ministry, distribution of finances, food, etc. But this is the norm. There's, it's, it's the only model you'll see. Let me add to that briefly this. You also see delegates. This is kind of the exception to the rule, but you see apostles delegating a certain responsibility or limited engagement, if you will, to men to do a particular task in a particular place. So, for instance, if you read the epistles uh, First and Second Timothy, Timothy functions as Paul's delegate to the church at Ephesus. Or Titus Titus is Paul's representative on the island of Crete to finish accomplishing Paul's purpose for those churches as far as setting them up. So the norm is elders and deacons, but you also see this role of people temporarily being assigned certain assignments by those in authority already. So you see both. We'll spend a little bit more time on the qualifications of elders. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are the key passages for these. Uh, If you say, what do elders and deacons look like? What are our leaders in the local church supposed to look like? Uh, These are daunting lists. You know the joke about the pastor, leader, elder who gets the humble tag from his church and then he puts it on and then they fire him for being proud? You know what I'm talking about? If you read this list of qualifications and you raise your hand as, yes, that's me, you've you got to be really, really careful. When I read this list, I'm like, you know, on what day of the week does that really describe me? Or if somebody else looked into my heart on this occasion, do they think that fits me? It's a daunting task. It's a daunting list. Uh, but it's what God calls those who lead in His church up to. And I may say this again, but let me say it now. Remember that Christ, in saving us, He doesn't save us so that we can live our happy lives on the earth and then die and go to heaven. But when we become saved, when we're born again by faith in Christ, the Spirit enters our life, He begins this process of transformation. And so we go from this carnal, sinful person, which we all are, and we'll all sin to the day we die, But then we become, we should become, more and more characterized by Christ-likeness over time. So the Holy Spirit's work in each one of our lives is to make us more like Christ, less and less like what we are apart from Christ, more and more like Christ Himself. We don't lose our individuality in that process. We fully or more fully become the unique person in Christ God means us to be. So when you read the list of qualifications, a couple things, it's a daunting list for anyone that aspires to church leadership, just right off the top. Also, though, when you read this qualification for leaders, this should be a list that every one of us here aspires to. This list is primarily character issues. Some of it's maturity. Some of it has to do with gifts. But primarily, this has to do with what kind of person am I by character, So when you read these lists, these are character qualities that all of us can aspire to. So out of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 
These are some of the things that should be descriptive of those who would lead the church. The first one in 1 Timothy 3.2 is above reproach. Those in leadership should not be open to some obvious or blatant charge of some wrong element in their life. They should be above reproach. Uh, the husband of one wife, uh, Titus 1 words that a little differently. Um, the Greek in Timothy is a one-woman man, a man characterized by his uh, devotion to his wife. Uh, someone who's temperate. You know, if we say the climate is temperate, we mean it's not extreme. It's neither hot nor cold. It's a, it's a happy medium. Well, a person who leads the church is supposed to be even-tempered, we might say. You're not hot and cold. You don't fly off the handle. You're, you moderate your response and your interaction in life. A prudent, meaning wise, shrewd in the ways of life. A respectable, your conduct in life is, is worthy of the respect of others. Hospitable, this is a word that carried more weight for the ancients than it does for us today in which uh, if someone traveled to another city, they typically were looking for hospitality, a place to be put up. Hospitable, those who lead should be gracious and generous to those around them in need, whether that's someone that's traveling or just generosity in general. But those who lead the church should demonstrate hospitality towards others. They should be able to teach. By the way, this list in 1 Timothy 3 initially is about elders. If you think of elders and deacons like this, elders are the super spiritual, deacons are spiritual but, but lesser, that's not actually the picture the scriptures paint. If you look in 1 Timothy 3, there's no qualitative difference between deacons and elders. The only difference in the list of qualifications is that elders are apt, this phrase, apt or able to teach. So elders carry more leadership role in the area of teaching, but the character qualifications for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy, it's the same. And if you read about the first deacons, Acts 6, um, who wouldn't aspire to the kind of character that Stephen, one of the first deacons, had? And you can read about him in Acts 6 and Acts 7. He was the church's first martyr. But elders, those who lead in this area, are supposed to be able to teach They're the ones who who teach the scriptures to the church. They defend theology and doctrine. Uh, Not addicted to wine, uh, both Timothy and Titus mention this. Um, Two things here. Uh, Our culture related to alcohol and its use, we tend to either extremes. We say you shouldn't drink anything or, or we have a culture given to drunkenness. And this just is an anomaly historically. The world grew up on beer and wine and read history and you'll see that that's the case, primarily because water supplies throughout history have been issues. If you get bad water, typically you die. So cultures throughout the past typically drank wine and beer because it was safe. So Paul here says he doesn't say that elders or leaders in the church cannot or should not partake of alcoholic beverages. This was standard in the world in which they live. What he says is, they should not be addicted to wine, so, or we could say to beer. We could say today towards any substance that would impair your judgment. You know, today people sometimes easily get hooked on prescription pain medications. Well, the same thing would apply. You're talking about someone being under the influence of something else. And this says the leaders in the church should not have that kind of characteristic. Not pugnacious. This is an old-fashioned term you don't hear much of. If you think of a, a pugnation, it's a brawler, it's a fighter. 
someone who's given to fighting, verbally or otherwise, this is not what you want, the kind of person you want leading your church. There's enough challenges already. In contrast to not a fighter or a brawler, gentle. And you see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus says those who are Christians are called to meekness, gentleness. It's the same thought. Meekness has the thought of I don't reach out and grab things for myself. I wait for God to do things for me. I can wait on God. I'm gentle. I'm peaceable. By the way, these two themes, gentleness and peace, are in the wisdom description in James' epistle when he contrasts what heavenly wisdom looks like compared to earthly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is gentle and peaceable. So you want those in church leadership to be characterized by meekness and that their life uh, tends towards giving peace both to themselves and those around them. Free from the love of money. You guys know if there's a buck to be made, people are motivated. And this is a theme you see routinely in the New Testament about church leaders, that they not be people who are going into a particular role because there's a buck to be made. There was money to be made. And, and Paul talks about that again later in the same epistle in 1 Timothy. But those who lead should not be in it for the money. They shouldn't, in fact, they shouldn't be motivated in life by money or greediness. They're supposed to be motivated by a call to serve Christ and Christ-likeness. If they're doing it for the money, uh, don't expect much. Let me focus primarily on verses 4 and 5 in 1 Timothy here for just a minute. One who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, because... If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? You know, in today's culture, because we specialize, especially, and we're a very educated culture, if you talk about church leadership, you, ought, you typically think of people who graduate from college and universities and seminaries. Now, the Hebrew and the Roman world of their day, they had education. But that's not the qualification you see here, and you won't see it in any of the lists of qualifications. In other words, the qualification for leading in the church is not academic. It's character. And when Jesus chose his followers, do you remember? He did not choose academics. And, and by the way, I'm not putting down academics. Uh, our homeschooling motto was Semper Discipula. It was always a student, always learning. If you know me, you know I'm not against academics or learning. Um, It's something we should be pursuing. But we make a mistake when we confound degrees with calls to leadership. They are not the same. Some people who are gifted to lead and called by God to lead in churches go to universities and seminaries. And that's great. It's great preparation. Especially in my mind, um, the use of Hebrew and Greek to know what the Scripture says in the original languages is just invaluable. So education is a great thing, but you don't see education as a part of the requirements because the requirements are primarily character. And the training ground for church leaders normally is their home and their family life. So if you want to know what kind of leadership a person will provide to the local church, look at their family. You see their leadership on display in their family. So how is their wife? Is she healthy spiritually? 
Does, does that man love his wife in a redemptive, sacrificial way? It should show. How about his children? Do they show respect? Are they behaved in appropriate ways? I know kids will be kids. We're not saying kids are little grown-ups. But have his children benefited from godly oversight? So Paul says here, and God says that the family generally is the training ground for the church's leaders. So if you want, if you aspire men to be leaders in the church, that leadership starts in your home. You can't be a poor or ineffective leader at home and be a successful leader in church. One grooms you generally for the other. So what do you look like at home? Does your family think you meet this qualification? Others who don't know you well might say, yeah, that looks like him, this list. But would your family say the same thing? If they wouldn't, you're probably not ready to lead. But the home is the training and the proving ground for the church's leaders. Uh, Timothy also says, not a new convert. You may have been in churches or known people in which someone who's very successful, let's say, in the business world or some other area of life, and they're adult, they're well-known perhaps, they become a Christian. And, and our initial thought is we'll make them a leader in our church. Well, Paul says, not so fast, don't do that. They're still a baby Christian. God may make them a leader in the future, but if they're a new convert, Paul says they're not to be a leader in the local church. They need time to grow. He also indicates that pride becomes a potential temptation there that is to be avoided. So not a new convert, even if they're very successful already in other areas of life. And also a good reputation with those outside. Those who know them outside of the church should also generally think well of them. By the way, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that no one uh, doesn't like you. Um, you know that you can be hated. Paul says, actually, you will be hated. You'll be despised, Jesus says, if you name Christ's name. If you live as Christ in this world that rejects him, people won't like you. So it doesn't mean that everyone likes you. But those who know you and don't have an axe to grind otherwise should think you're worthy of respect. Uh, Titus also uses things like sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. Again, the aspect of teaching. And then 1 Peter 5 also says this kind of as a summation in verse 3. Peter says those shepherds of the flock are to be examples to the flock. In other words, if you look at leaders in the church, they should be the kind of people that you want to grow up to be like. If they're not, there's probably something amiss again. They should be examples to the rest of the church. That's true for elders. Deacons, I'll just say briefly, you see them in Acts 6, and they were to be men that were full of the Spirit and wisdom. And again, Stephen's the example of that group of seven initially. Or if you look in 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons, same kind of qualifications as elders, men of dignity, not double-tongued, they say the same thing. They're not speaking out of both sides of their mouth to different groups. Not addicted to much wine, same thing. Not fond of sordid gain. They're not in some ministry because of prestige or money or some personal gain to themselves. They have a clear conscience. They're beyond reproach. They're husbands of one wife, good managers of their children and their own households. So that's what church leaders are meant to look like. That's what they should be look like. That's what we aspire to. And again, all of us in the church should aspire to this in the sense that it's Christ-likeness we're talking about. Uh, question becomes then, if you, these guys are present, let's say, well, how do you select them or how are they recognized? How do you appoint church leaders? 
A couple different ways you'll see in the New Testament. In Acts 6, starting with the deacons, there was kind of a congregational selection process in this first group of deacons. So the apostles said to the church, choose seven men from among you. You as a group, choose those men that you find trustworthy. Verse 5, they chose Stephen and six other men. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So in in this case, the congregation chose those men that they had implicit trust in. And then the apostles recognized, we affirm, we assume, in a sense ratified that by laying their hands on them and praying over them, officially commissioning them, as we will our new leaders here in just a little bit. But in that sense, the church chose those men. So you see, in a sense, a congregational affirmation or recognition of those men that fit the qualifications. You also see, though, also appointed. So in Acts 14, again, Paul and Barnabas appointed. In Titus 1, uh, Titus was commissioned in Crete to appoint elders as well. At the end of the day, in Acts 20, Paul says that church leaders are actually appointed by the Holy Spirit. That is, whether you see this as a congregational model, whether they're appointed, when we recognize church leaders and commission them formally, Paul says in Acts 20 that it was actually the Holy Spirit that was at work in those processes, calling those men as leaders. In Acts 20, Paul's headed back to Jerusalem. He calls the elders of the church of Ephesus, and he says to them, Be on guard for yourselves, verse 28, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit is the one behind the process that made you overseers. And let me digress totally here for just a minute, but I don't know if this question comes in your mind or not. Um, There's a difference between positions of leadership in a local church and spiritual gifts. There's a difference between positions of leadership in a local church and spiritual gifts. When you read the scriptures in the New Testament, the scriptures say this. When you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. He comes, he seals you, and he takes up residence in you. And part of his ministry in you is he equips you. He gives you what the scriptures call a spiritual gift, or we might just say a spiritual ability. The Greek term is charisma or charismata. When we talk about charismatics, it just means grace gifts. We talk about charismatics as a group within the church today, but the term just means grace gifts, gifts that Jesus gives to the church through the Holy Spirit to individuals. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about gifts of apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, etc. Ephesians 4, he says, Grace was given us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Christ turned around and gave to the church gifts of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. And goes on and lists a short list as well. If you're an elder in a local church, your role of leadership is in that local church. You're not an elder in another church. If you have a gift of teaching, you're a teacher wherever you go. A teacher who has a person who has a gift of teaching may or may not be an elder in a local church, but they have a gift of teaching that they're called on to use wherever they go. So elders and deacons hold a position of leadership in a local, singular place. 
the spiritual gifts that you have are to be exercised wherever you're at, in whatever church group you find yourself, whether you're in leadership or not. Spiritual gifts exercised any place. Leadership roles typically restricted to a certain geography or a certain place, a certain group. So, the long and the short of it is, as a church, we want to... These are the clear things the New Testament says about church leadership. Again, you'll see a variety of this the way it's used in churches. But we want to err on the side of saying we're going to have a plural group of godly men recognized as elders and deacons to give oversight and leadership to the church. When I use... um, If someone asks me what my role in this church is, I typically say I'm an elder... Some people call me a pastor, and that's actually biblically accurate because I believe I'm, I'm gifted as a pastor, shepherd, or teacher. But I choose the term elder because I want primarily people to know that I'm one of a team of leaders in a local church. Uh, we confuse terms a little bit from the biblical usage because most churches have staff roles. So whether I'm gifted as a pastor, shepherd, or not... If I'm on a church staff someplace, I'm called a pastor. And this may be splitting hairs. I think it's biblically inaccurate. So I tend to err on the side of saying I'm an elder in a local church. My spiritual gifts, I think, are teaching and discipleship. But I identify myself as an elder in a local church. We are adding to our leadership this morning during the open worship time, which we'll pray for, officially recognize and commission Kent Vincent and Randall Bertell as new elders. We will also commission Steve Green as our envoy, if you will, to youth. Steve's going to serve as our new youth leader, and we'll, we'll pray over these men after a time of worship. Let me say specifically, um, hopefully most of you know the men we've talked about and, and part of the role of recognizing and establishing new leaders is that they've had a time for the church to get to know them, and a time for people to respond to recognizing them as leaders. And, and uh, I can just tell you I'm, I'm thrilled that these guys are being recognized. In fact, it would be hard for me to communicate my enthusiasm at the addition to leadership that we have going on in the church. Related to Steve also specifically, we are embarking a new area for us as a church. We hope that Steve's participation, his contribution in leadership to Lion and Lamb will solidify what has otherwise been uh, kind of a a piecemeal approach to providing leadership for the youth in our church. You know, as a church, we're very devoted, just norm, uh, the norm in this church, very devoted to families and raising godly children. And we've wanted to be intentional about that as a church. But we've just come to conclude that apart from someone being the go-to guy, uh, we're just not going to be very good at that. And so Steve's going to fill a role that we've really seen a need in, which I'm thrilled about. Steve will also be supported financially by the church, by Lion and Lamb, in the same manner that I am. And that means this. Steve will be supported by designated giving. And Bob's created some more... um, giving sheets that I'm assuming will pass out or will be available on the table later. If you filled one of these out in the past, you can update it. If you never have, you're free to fill one out now. But you can designate a portion of your regular giving to Steve's support. And I encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting Steve with a portion of your giving. And especially if you're a family whose children are going to be benefiting from Steve's ministry, I especially 
encourage you to prayerfully consider designating support to Steve. This is consistent with the rest of the teaching on the scripture about leadership. So whenever you do that, prayerfully consider that. Designate your support for Steve on there. Um, Related to encouragement, uh, uh, the fact that Christ, who gives gifts, is giving our church new leaders, tells me he's at work in this church, and there's more work he has for us to do. So I'm very encouraged by this. God has things for us to do. He's equipping us through these new leaders to do that. And let me close with this. I want to ask you to do two things. The first is to pray for those leading this church. Remember last week we talked about being citizens in this country. Um, God's blessed us to bless others. And one of the ways we do that is to pray. Um, You know, strategically, if you want to hurt another country or another group, another army, uh, you take out their leaders. Um, If you take out leadership, you, you make a group very ineffective. And, you know, if you've been around the church for any length of time at all, uh, we go through seasons where one scandal after another hits the church, especially in the West. You know, one moral failure after another. Uh, We're one small church in one little corner of the world. I totally understand that. But I also know that just strategically, the enemy of Christ and his church wants to take out Christian leaders. They become targets especially for Satan's temptations, because if you take out Christian leaders, you take the wind out of people's sails. Churches fall, Christians get disheartened, you know. So please pray for the leadership of the church. Pray that all the leaders of the church, the elders and deacons, will be true to Christ and filled with the Spirit. Pray that we will be holy and remain above reproach. Pray that Leaders in the church will continue to be blessings to their families, their proving ground, their initial proving ground. And pray that as leaders, we will be effective in the things Christ wants to do in and through this church. So pray. That's one thing I'm asking you to do. The other is this. We often are mistaken in the way we see the church. Um, I go to church on Sunday to, to get my tank filled. Uh, I go to the church because I need encouragement. These are fine things. Uh, But if you have a view in your mind in which you you go to church so that others can encourage you, it's short sighted and it's a deficient view of God's call on your life. All of us will go through times in life in which we give more or we receive more, but God means for us to do both. We should be receiving the benefit of other people's service and gifts. And other people should be receiving the benefit of our service and gifts. So the other thing I want you to do is not assume that church leadership does everything. Church leadership is meant to equip the church, the rest of the church, to do all the things God means the church to do and to be. So every person in this room, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has given you a gift, a unique way in which He wants you to serve others. Ask God, if you don't already know, ask God, Lord, show me the ways in which you've called me and gifted me to serve others, because he has. If you're not serving, you're missing a significant part of God's will for your life. Let me close with this passage out of Ephesians 4. This is about God giving gifts of leaders. 
and the reason why he does that. Paul says this, he gave, Christ gave to the church, some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints, if you're a Christian, you're a saint, a holy one, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Leaders lead so everyone can serve and build up Christ's body. How long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This means never. That we serve until Christ returns or He takes His church home. But this goes on. This is ongoing. We're, also, we're always supposed to be coming more and more conformed to the fullness or the image of Christ. How? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. And this is what I want to close on. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Every Christian is a member in the body of Christ and is gifted and called by Christ to serve others in the body. So pray for those in leadership and ask God how He wants you to serve as well. Let's pray and then worship and then we'll officially recognize new leaders. Lord, thanks that You not only save us... uh, from hell, from an eternity separated from you, Lord. Bring us into your family. Give us an eternity of uh, and a future of hope and promise of joy and pleasure. But you stoop, Lord, by your Spirit to inhabit us and then use us in your glorious work in the earth. Lord, that, that humans are partaking in the work of heaven is no small thing. I thank you that you're calling and equipping men to lead in this church. And Lord, I pray that all of us leading are accomplishing your purposes, that the church is becoming the place and the people you mean it to be, doing the things you called us to do. Lord, help all of us to understand that we are called. We are your ambassadors to the world, and we are your gifts to each other to serve each other in ways that help us become more and more like Christ. Help us to take your work in us and through us seriously, Lord, until the day that Christ comes. In Jesus' name, amen.